Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. G'day Australia, it's Glenn James here. I'm with John Pigeon. Welcome to My Millennial Money Property. John, yes. first I just want to say shout out to Wellman Finance, who is our show partner. My yes. Millennial Money Property supported by Wellman Finance, Sean and the team. What is one reason off the top of your head why you would use a mortgage broker as opposed to walking into that single bank branch? If you've got an existing mortgage and you think you've got some equity in there, Having a sophisticated mortgage broker is crucial. Now, the reason why is because a valuer might come in on behalf of one lender and say, well, your property, Glenn, is valued at 600000 Another lender org- organises and uh, and assess another value to come out and they could value your home at 650000 So which lender are you going to choose? Well, naturally, I would choose the one that values my home higher. Right, it's two people's opinions, but if you're going to one lender, you're copying one valuation and and one only, and you're taking that valuation. Now that could be the difference between getting your next deposit out versus waiting another two or three years. And I guess the risks there is there's also trade-offs in everything in life. If that lender who valued it higher, they might have a point three percent higher interest rate, and then it goes into well, interest rates aren't everything because we've like we've been able to capture more equity out of the property and go again, for yeah, example. Yeah, 100%. Know. Yeah, and, and in that example, in most cases, the highest value wins yeah. <laughs> my business. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. Okay, very interesting. So, if you are looking to refinance your property, if you're a first home buyer, oh, actually, just on first home buyers, does the same rules apply? Yeah, it can, absolutely. On the way in, you're getting a valuation and again, two people's opinions, you, you want a higher valuation, don't you? So, there's some instances where you buy a property and the valuation might come slightly under. Um, you go and get a second valuation and that valuation comes in on the money or even over. Um, so, yeah, naturally, you're going to choose that second value because um, you don't need to put in as much money. Yeah. So, thanks to Wellman Finance for getting behind My Millennial Money property and you can find a link to the website in the show notes. Yeah. We're talking about property holding costs, okay? what What's an example of a holding cost, John, if I've got an investment property? Yeah, so the standard holding costs for most investors are your your interest on your mortgage and if you're paying principal, that as well. Your, your insurances to cover your building and as a landlord insurance. Your council rates and water rates, they're probably your main ones plus your property management fee if you've got a property manager controlling your property. And strata even? Yeah, so if you've got a unit, obviously you've got strata fees, but if you've got land, then you've got council rates and so forth. Is there a particular percentage that you can roughly work on with holding costs for a property, regardless of the price? Not really. I mean, you can, yeah, not, not really because everyone's loaning at different rates. So mm. your percentage of mortgage may be different from the next person. Um, but also, 
if you are paying strata, for example, those strata fees could be $2,000 a year versus $8,000 a year. Like it, it does vary quite a bit. But yeah, we, we just dig a bit deeper and analyze them for what they are against the yield of the property. Yeah. And I guess like each property is so unique and different and it's not as if you're buying 15 properties at once. So you should be able to just take the time and look at the holding costs yeah. for oh. each property before you pull the trigger. 100%. And, and that last part of it is really critical is, is understanding that you need to know these numbers inside and out long before you do pull the trigger and long before you do sign and the, and the ink dries that you've got those numbers forecasted. When should you start thinking about the holding costs? Like you say yeah. long before. Yeah. So. so long before meaning, well, you've probably gone to the lender and got some sort of pre-approval in place. You know roughly what you're about to spend. You've done some research hopefully on locations and type of property and, and the sort of yield that you want. When you start to then put in offers and those offers come back, yes or no, at that time you, you should be analysing, well, this is what I'm going to pay for it. This is what I should be getting rent from and there might be existing history of that uh, but these are my holding costs so you might be getting your, your example of the council rates and the water rates from the from the agent you'd be getting obviously you'd know your interest rate that you're paying you'd be getting some insurance quotes um, you're doing all those things and compiling them together to understand those costs i guess holding costs it's important to know because you need to know what you may have to cough up if there's a period of no tenant yeah that's right and that's probably leads to another strong point of mine is what areas have you got that are the biggest variables? Because I think a lot of investors say, well, I've got this pre-approval for 400000 I've got 100000 sitting around. I'll go and buy something for 500000 round figures um, without any real thought about, well, what are my holding costs going to be? And if I'm out of pocket each month, I'll just prop it up with my future income. Mm. Now, that's the worst thing you can be doing because it impacts your lifestyle, it puts undue stress on your life, and in the end, you just cut all ties and sell the property. When you're doing projections, would you always project on a yearly basis that, you know, there's 48 weeks of a tenant, not 52? Yeah. How so, conservative do you get there? Yeah, so we, we definitely look at all this on an annual basis and then look at the two biggest variables. Now, those two are definitely your your vacancy rates and also your interest rates. They're the things that are a little bit out of your control, although you can do a lot of research into them. So vacancy rates, you, you need to understand in that suburb that I'm buying, what's the current vacancy rate percentage. So SQM Research, which I've spoken about before, gives you a pretty accurate update on what that is. So if it's 2%, the vacancy rate at the time, you would forecast two weeks a year, 2% being two weeks, 3% being three weeks, give or take. So if you're forecasting two weeks, um, you might throw another third week or fourth week on that just to be conservative and put that into your figures to ensure that uh, you understand fully what your holding costs are. Uh, and same with interest rates. You know that your interest rate might not stay there forever, and so you forecast maybe quarter of a percent, half a percent, and if you're really ultra conservative, maybe an extra percent on your mortgage to see what that uh, holding cost is going to end up being. So you're saying the biggest variables on the holding costs are interest rate and interest rent. rates and vacancy rates. Vacancy rates. So right. yeah, how many weeks could I? 
expect to have it untenanted. Yeah, because things like your council rates and insurances, property management fees, they're pretty standard stuff that uh, might vary a few dollars each year, but not nothing too yeah. drastic. Yeah, okay. interesting. It's even a bigger deal holding costs when like you may have purchased a block of land or an old shack that hasn't got a tenant or something like that if you are doing a little either project a build or a knockdown and rebuild? Yeah, I think, um, again, they're just larger buffers for a period of time knowing that something bigger is going to happen once your development comes out of council or something like that. So Yeah, and I guess for those who already you own a house and live in it or you're a first home buyer, these holding costs are probably more exacerbated if you are buying a block of land and building a home because you've got to actually cash flow 100% of those holding costs mm. while the property is being built and factor in any delays to construction because yeah. you, you're paying a rent and mortgage over here unless you can somehow move in with the in or outlaws while you're mm. building the next home. Mm. Like there's a property around the corner here. Do you know the guy and they've just knocked over um, the house yep. on Twin Bay Road? Yep. They're moving in with the in-laws. Yeah, okay. So, Save he's like... holding costs. Yeah, yeah, so he's like, oh, it's not ideal Yeah, um, living with the in-laws. Yeah. But, um, yeah, and because it's... Because they've, they've got to pay the mortgage on that block of land... As well. ...while yeah. the... Um, while the new home's constructed. That's right. Yeah, and, and look, there's... Um, it's a story for another day, but if you're buying an existing block of land with no house on it, you'll only pay stamp duty on the value of the land versus buying a house, you're going to pay stamp duty on the whole lot. Yeah. So there's a there's a few variables there, right? Um, so, yeah, those um, those holding costs we need to make sure that we have buffers in our life exclusive for property, yeah. right? And not our emergency funds life buffer. It's actually a separate buffer amount. Mm. So we don't want to be going and buying a property if we haven't got the equivalent of three, six, nine months worth of holding costs. Okay, interesting. So when we talk about gross rental yield how do you explain that yeah so gross rental yield is basically your annual rent uh, or or your weekly rent times by 52 um, divided by your purchase price of the property um, times by 100 as a percentage okay so that's useful when going and buying the property because you get a really accurate idea of all right if it's um if it's renting for 500 dollars a week and the property costs 500000 give or take, that's roughly a 5% gross rental yield, right? Now, what does that actually mean in numbers? Uh, it, it, it usually, in today's um, living with interest rates really low, probably means that it might be costing you a, a, a couple of grand before tax, before you do your uh, tax return, but definitely shouldn't be costing you anything to hold after tax. Now, to give you some perspective on that, in, in Sydney at the moment, most gross rental yields are probably sitting around 3 3.5%. A lot of Melbourne probably similar. Whereas somewhere like Brisbane might be up around 45 some cases even closer to 5 I mean, 3.5% growth, it's such a crap return. It is. Yes, it is. I, I mean, yeah. and I guess we should do an episode in the coming weeks about, you know, cash flow or capital growth. Yeah, we will do that. But just quickly on that, there's a reason for that. Now, Sydney's just been through a three to four year really strong growth period. So if you were to buy that same property four years ago, 
the over the last four years the rent hasn't changed so much but the property might have doubled so what i could buy for five hundred thousand four years ago is now nine hundred thousand but the rent was maybe four hundred back then it's now 450 now so the gross rental yield's massively different yeah but you could also work out if you bought four years ago your gross rental yield on your purchase price yeah, that's right. Same same calculation, but yeah, but it would be a higher yield back then. Yes. Yeah. So reading between the lines, what I'm saying is the lower the yield, it hurts you hurts your pocket, but also is it the best time to buy when the yield's so low anyway? Because if you're not getting capital growth and you're not getting cash flow, why are you buying it? Mm. So what's the difference between before tax and after tax cash flow? Yeah, so we've spoken about all those outgoings as a uh, when we're holding the property for that 12-month period, they're the costs that we need to outlay before we actually do our tax return. So if we're earning income in Australia at the present, we'll we'll lodge a tax return and then we can claim, uh, well, obviously we, we factor the income of what we've received into our tax return, but more importantly, we claim the expenses of what we've outlaid um, against our income on our tax return. So... The before tax is obviously everything we've outlaid. Um, the after tax is, all right, we've done our tax return. We've claimed all the running expenses of that property back, including your interest and any maintenance or uh, insurances, council rates, etc. But we've also claimed things like depreciation. So we haven't physically paid for the depreciation, but we've claimed a percentage of it depending on the age of the property, which gives us an after tax cash flow amount. Now, hopefully... We want to be, and, and today it's not that difficult to do, we want to be in a position where before tax it might cost us a few dollars, but after tax we're absolute worst case neutral but should be positive. You know, 15 years ago it was the big thing about positive cash flow properties. Yeah. Can you still find them, do you think? You can. It just depends on where you want to buy your property. Like where I grew up near Horsham, every day I can find an 8% yielding property there. Mm. what's the projected growth in the next five to ten years is my question mark by mm. doing that. Yeah, right? okay. Stress-free because it won't be costing me anything to hold, but in ten years it uh, it might not have done a whole lot. Mm. Interesting. Now, is there anything else you want to ram home about property holding costs like any other traps that people fall into? Yeah, the biggest one I see is absolutely not doing their homework before they – pull the trigger on a purchase. Everyone gets excited. I've got a pre-approval. I've got an amount I can go and spend. And then I go into an auction emotionally revved up and I've bought this property, not knowing what the hell the property holding costs are going to be. I get some surprises. The interest rates rise or there's uh, two more weeks of vacancy than I expected. All of a sudden, I haven't got a buffer in there and then I lose my job and all these things come crashing down at the one time and then I have to sell the property. You can start to see why some people prefer to rent their home to live in because there's no holding costs. No. It's like you don't have to pay rates. You don't have to pay water in some instances. You don't have to repaint it. You don't have to do any repairs. So it can be pretty lean in that regard as long as you're investing elsewhere. Yeah, that's right. And and as you know, personally, I was, I was singing that method for almost 20 years. So for, for that reason exactly, as long as you're going and spending your money in in, um, in good ways in terms of income-producing assets. But uh, as long as you're doing that, then 
yeah, in my in my mind, it was a no-brainer. But it's not for everyone because they want to. Yeah, it's the emotional paint, side. Paint the yeah. rooms and yeah. I, I was actually just thinking there can be a hidden, possibly hidden, if you don't do your homework, holding cost, which can come out of the woodwork, pull your pants down, and spank you. <laughs> Maintenance. Ish. Yeah. If you're buying a property that it has a strata title mm. and you do not do the due diligence before you purchase, and that is send the request in to the strata manager and get the meeting minutes of the strata committees and everything. Yep, sinking fund. The sinking fund and any special levies. Now, for example, for those who don't know, a sinking fund is basically a joint bank account, quote-unquote, that all the residents put money into each quarter. So, if the roof gets ripped off, yeah. they get the money out of the sinking fund and they can repair the roof. Yeah. Because with strata properties, everything external is common property. If someone does a burnout in the driveway and... Yeah, sorry. Sorry, guys. <laughs> um, and the driveway needs to be repaired, yeah. it's going to the sinking fund. Now, what can happen is... You've got to look at the property reports to see if there's any meat in the sinking fund. I've seen clients go to buy properties and in the sinking fund, there's been no money. No. And that's a big deal, particularly if they're older buildings and and whatnot. And now the other thing is, if something comes up out of the blue, which hasn't been catered for or forethought, there can be what they call a special levy voted on by the body corporate, which is the collective. It's like, we need... $12,000 $12,000 to repair X or do Y, there's no money in the sinking fund and it's not factored into the monthly strata fees. No. Now, that special levy can actually be applied to everybody. So, yep. you've got to look for special levies. And a really good example at the moment that's going on is the Opal Towers at Homebush. Mm. And that building almost you know crumbled for you know being extreme. Yeah. But I think it's going to cost each unit $100,000 yeah. as a special levy. Yeah, and I had an instance a couple of months ago where a guy rang and said, look, after your advice, I've, I've been forced to pay 40000 as a special levy to the, to the strata community because of um, something that's gone wrong in their complex. So, yeah, they've, like he's, he's got the money, thankfully, but, yeah, it's a cost that you don't really recoup either. It's just one other thing in your due diligence that you need to check for special levies and the meat in the sinking fund. Yeah, 100%. I suppose I was focusing a bit more on houses today rather than units, but that's a really good point. Yeah, and, thanks, and John. one of the negatives of having a unit or a, an apartment because you are, you're basically in a, in a team, aren't you, where you're one of that um, five or six or 10 or 80. Yeah, absolutely. Hey guys, thanks for listening today and just remember, check out your property holding costs before you pull the trigger. Do that. It's not too late to say no if you haven't signed anything. And don't be afraid to go, no, I'm walking away from the deal. Mm, Absolutely. As Trump would say, it's a bad deal. No, I'm not signing that document. It's a bad deal, John. Maybe we should do one in that voice for the whole pod. Yeah, probably not. All right, see you guys. Bye.
if you want to really turn up your property education and information journey, make sure you check out the Solvair Property and Finance Academy. This is an amazing online resource that John has put together. It's to empower and to give results to people who are either first-time buyers, whether for their home to live in or an investment property, or if you're a seasoned property investor. This online academy is for you. Check out the link in the show notes. It will change your life if you let it. If you're after personal financial advice, this podcast is not for you. But if you do want a financial advisor or mortgage broker to talk with about your own personal situation, head over to sortyourmoneyout.com, click get help, and we'll put you in touch with one of our trusted professionals. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with and Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that and Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.